Hi everyone, the views, thoughts, and opinions expressed in the following podcast belong solely to the host and its contributors. They are not necessarily the views of our employers, organizations, committees, or other group or individual. I'm David Campbell. And I'm Joseph Whitney. This is Brewing with BIM. Where we talk about construction processes, technology, BIM, and beer. What's up, man? It's been so long. So long. I know, man. I know. It's been a long time, yeah, since we recorded the last podcast, but a lot of stuff happening in between then and now, honestly. A lot of crazy stuff. Dude, yeah, it's been uh, it's been phenomenal. So, everybody, welcome back to another episode of Brewing with BIM. I am Joey, lost in the woods, Whitney. Uh, <laughs> with me, I guess, uh, David, I love Halo. I mean, I don't know what to <laughs> Yeah, I do love Halo. Dude, we switched teams this week. Well, I'm not in the uh, the the BIM lab over here. I'm, I'm out in space. Oh yeah, yeah. There you go. Uh, oh yeah, and you were you were lost in the woods, man. That's right. Uh, yes, I was. That's why we couldn't get one off the this past weekend for Labor Day. Adrian actually surprised me with a, a camp reservation, and we ended up going camping on the coast. It was it was awesome. Well, we had a uh, that sounds that sounds awesome. First of all, but we had a a lot of like setbacks. So we like we had this you know planned recording early early last week, I guess end of the week before, and then uh, we had a reschedule uh, to the participants, and then um, uh, and then you had to reschedule due to the uh, camp you know surprise yep. camp reservations. Yep, yep, yep. And then we were supposed to record with him today, but uh, apparently you guys are all on fire we're out on there. We're on fire out here. Yeah, your background is on fire out here right now, dude. It's pretty crazy. That's nuts, man. That's nuts. Um, I just can't believe, uh, you know, I can believe it, honestly. Like, I, you know, when I lived in Oregon, I remember all the fires. I remember this, the thick smoke and Everybody just wanted to stay inside and, you know, get any, you know, air, air purifiers you can. But uh, I don't know. It, it didn't seem like it was, you know, that close to us. But now uh, our friends in Salem uh, are, uh, you know, are, are uh, participant for this week who uh, it, we'll have to reconnect with next week. Um, by the way, give him a shout out. Eric DeLeon from Cat Manager Confessions. Um this will be an interesting podcast next should week. Be a great, con- yeah. It should be a great, a great, a great podcast with Eric. I'm really looking forward to it. Um, I mean, I think that's something that we need anyways. The industry does it quite a bit, but you see, you know, CAD mixing with BIM quite a bit. And Yeah, well, the two are not mutually exclusive by any means. CAD is no. part of BIM, right? Yes. Or BIM is part of CAD even. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just, uh, we, you know capitalize on the buzzwords of our industry and uh, <laughs> away we go, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I think, you know, I, I actually think part of it is going to tie into um, our podcast today. You know, I mean, I know that um, standards, you know, a lot of a lot of the uh, managers in that portion, CAD managers, BIM managers, they have to concentrate on those standards. They have to try and implement that in their company to better their processes for everybody involved. It's not yes. just people that have been there forever. It's people coming on bettering the processes of you know just anybody there and how uh their company wants to do it 
as a whole moving forward, right? Just adopting a standard. <laughs> it's not very uh, like it's it's funny, but I find that's actually one of the biggest kind of problems with our industry is the fact that we do not have a standard. You know, you don't have a BIM standard. There are so many different programs and softwares out there to work on. Um, I mean, yes, obviously IFC is the um, kind of industry standard file type, if you want to call it that. Yeah, but that's a that's a transfer file in my in yes. my mind. That's a that's, that's a file format we use for transferring. It's not a data capturing. It's not a it's it's a uh, transfer format. Something that we can integrate and implement into our existing file format, not one that we readily uh, get to interact with. And a lot of people, you know, not not pointing fingers, but a lot of people have been, um, you know, saying this is Autodesk's fault for making Revit kind of a close feedback loop. Mm-hmm. This is, you know, dialogues that have come out of this whole open letter, you know, stuff. Got to address the elephant in the room, right? Yep. But, um, you know, that said, uh, you know, knowing what Autodesk has put into IFC and uh, um, knowing somebody that's actually been a part of that initial committee setting up IFC uh, industry uh foundation class, I think is what it is, mm-hmm. um, setting that up, um, like from the Autodesk standpoint, like knowing that there was this whole interoperability and we're talking a decade ago, yep, it's, yep. it's, it's pretty remarkable to see that it's still, um, in use and, and still making progress. I know we were just talking about, uh, BCF formats, uh, with Rob, uh, from Kobe labs. So, um, I, you know, I guess I guess what I'm getting at in a roundabout way is, um, yeah, there's no open format. No, it's not one vendor's fault for over the others. Um, could it be better? Always, always. That's what we're about, man. Let's uh, let's make it better. If we got to, you know, figure out a Dynamo script or some, you know, hack the API, whatever we got to do, we're gonna make stuff better. That's what we want. Yeah, yeah, um, I agree. Yeah, yeah, I do. Yeah, it's just so, crazy. And- yeah, so you were talking about standards there for a second, and and the reason why I don't think there can be one standard is, uh, so I had a call earlier today with a gentleman who's actually a big fan of our podcast, which was an amazing conversation, um, who's you know starting up a, a, a pretty remarkable uh, remote consulting company, um, anyways, uh, for, for BIM technology. Anyways, uh, our conversation kind of went down the rabbit hole of, the different mindsets of people that are involved in the construction process. And when we talk about BIM, he's like, I, you know, I never thought about BIM beyond construction. Like we think about BIM for construction. Like, well, we talk about BIM for construction today because that's the space we operate in. That's the space that we have solutions for. Nobody's talking about BIM for construction, you know, or BIM post-construction because that's the owner space. Yep. There aren't many of, yeah, there aren't many design firms you know, focused on that yep. side of things, pardon me, um, focused on that side of things post-construction, except for the people that, you know, are trying to sell a service contract outside of it, the mechanical, the piping contractors, whoever it is that's trying to service the life of the building and, you know, win that annual contract as well. Um, so that they're thinking about it and it's part of maybe their handover package or something that they're they're delivering. But when we talk about standards, it's got to it's got to be focused by mindset too. So the architects have a different mindset. They're focused on, I've got to make the best design and that within these constraints for, for the owner, they're acting as the owner's rep in that, 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 uh, that state. 
Um, when you talk about the contractors, subcontractors, I've got to build this in the shortest amount of time and the owner's budget. You know, that's what I'm thinking about. I'm not thinking about how the design flows into this and the data that I can get from the design of this. And as far as uh, an architect, I'm not thinking about more often than not how the guys downstream are going to utilize this data, how it's going to save them X amount of money, because my job is to focus on this singular thing of designing the best yep. building for this for this owner. Yep. Um, so I don't know, man, there's a. Uh, there's there's got to be some some wiggle room obviously to allow each each division to do its own thing but yeah. you're right there should be standards especially as dude i'm going on this long rant no you're good you're good but, you're good but the reason why i believe there should be standards it's mostly coming from the the con subcontractor side of things right so the design team's got one thing in mind as we know those design things get flipped out and switched out and then they get more detailed and specified and and you know then we'll add systems and all that stuff and then that'll go through to the subcontractors. As the subcontractors get more involved, um, there's a, a different component, right? There's only so many companies in the U.S. or world or wherever that make air handling units. Mm -hmm. There's only so many models, but we have to specify those models. Here's the deal. Everybody's got their own damn family with their own damn information and all that stuff. How does that information feed out to the different uh, you know, people involved? Yep. And how are they going to track that? And how does that relate back to the owner system? Like, is that a proprietary thing to you? Then that's what you're selling yourself on to the owner. That way they give you more jobs. Like there's a lot of different moving pieces and things to think about. But these these are the standards that we should be thinking about, especially as we move to this, you know, future model of, you know, manufacturing components in the cloud and, yep. you know, uh, prefabricated construction, you know, all that sort of stuff. But we went down this tangent. You got me down my damn soapbox on, on, <laughs> on the soapbox down this rabbit hole. I never asked you, what are you drinking, buddy? Oh, good one, good one. So um, today I have made an old fashioned, uh, one of my favorite. It's invisible, which is awesome. <laughs> I am making an old fashioned um, out of the Crater Lake Rye Whiskey. Now this is also invisible. Yeah. Uh, uh, got an in Harry Potter invisibility cloak over the top of it. Uh, but <laughs> uh, Crater Lake Amer uh, Straight American Rye Whiskey, it's made and bottled um, by Ben Distillery out of Bend, Oregon. So I stopped and picked up a bottle of that for the other side of brewing or distilling in this case. <laughs> distilling with Bim. I like distilling it, man. That'll be our side podcast where we just drink nothing but liquors. Ah, there you go. It could yep. be completely incoherent by the end of the podcast. Two shots in, we're we're babbling idiots. <laughs> um, I love it, man. I love Crater Lake. I, it's one of the most beautiful geographies you'll ever get to visit. Um, that said, the distillery is phenomenal too. I like yeah. the the whiskey. I don't think I've had that rye before, but it's um, pretty good, honestly. Good. It's a uh, yeah, it's got a little. I don't want to say a kick to it, but it's, you know, typical well, it's, rye rye. it's got a nice exactly. spice. Yeah. yeah. It's got a spice to it. So I, I, I am enjoying it. Um, it's, it's made for a different old fashioned, you know, what's funny is I love an old fashioned and it's great how you can take these different whiskeys or different types of whiskey and run it through an old fashioned, same ingredients every single time. You know, I got, not going to lie to you. I got my, uh, Hey, Chow's aromatic cocktail bitters, you know, I add some of this in. Then because I, I'm i fancy like this, I will also throw in some orange bitters because I yeah. love an orange taste with my um, with my old-fashioned. I'll usually throw in a little bit of an orange rind, right? Um, I got my simple syrup, and then I throw in a uh, 
either a bada bing cherry or I love the bada bing cherries. If I can get a bing bing cherry in there, I'm on it. But uh, or a maraschino cherry, I guess if I'm feeling a little broke that week. <laughs> no, um, I really love how it just the taste of it. Like overall, you use the same stuff, but that taste because of the whiskey. It just varies so much. Like you taste that spice just a little bit more. Like you're still tasting, yeah. you know, the sweetness. Or it hits you on the front versus the back. Yeah, 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 yeah. dude, it's the, great. I love the it. The aroma changes a little bit. Like there's so much that goes into it. Um, we could geek out on whiskey all day, man. I'm telling <laughs> you, know, you, go down to the Multnomah Whiskey Library and, uh, you know, try everything. <laughs> That'd be a fantastic time. Yes, yes. <laughs> so you, what are you drinking? Oh, me. I'm, uh, I'm drinking, well... I had a little scotch left over, and uh, I didn't want to drink straight scotch. I mean, after all, it is only like 7 o'clock here. <laughs> so uh, I cut it with a little bit of a, you know, splash of Diet Pepsi to change the the, the color. But, uh, uh, yeah, gave it a little sweetness to my smokiness, and uh, I dig it. I'm a, I'm a big old-fashioned connoisseur like yourself, man. I got to tell you, though, hands down, the candied lemons – with the um, the muddled uh, blackberries, yeah, are, and the you know the dude, that was the best one I've ever had. That was phenomenal. Yeah. I love it. I am gonna take your advice and do candied oranges one time. Yes, candied oranges, dude. I think that'd be amazing. I love a way that the oranges taste in an old fashioned. Yeah. Oh, dude, the best one I've had so far was Vegas. Like that smoke on the smoke on the water. Smoke, was smoke on the boulevard. On, smoke on the boulevard. Oh my gosh, that I mean honestly, that was just. It, I think the, it was the coolness factor Dude. added into it. Dude, we had <laughs> already had some drinks before then, <laughs> yeah, so we were like blown away by the time we saw that. We we're like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. You They're lighting this on fire. Yeah, dude, they bring it out and it, all the smoke. They like roast it, like smoke it first. They put all this like a. Uh, put almost like a damn bowl is what I think about. And you put a bowl on there and it sucks all of it into the, you know, exactly what it was. It was like, it was a bowl with a freaking little torch on it. (laughs) Yeah, dude. Smoke filled the dang uh, chamber. Yeah, man. You pull that, that drink out of there. And it's like the first like few sips, even, um, you're tasting that smoke, right? Just that nice smoky taste. And with an old fashioned, I love that combination. I thought that was amazing. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, It's got me one. Like, huh, stick an old fashioned in my smoker towards the end there. <laughs> yeah. uh, I thought about smoking some, uh, just like a smoking a bowl of water, like a, you know, thing of water um, in the smoker. The issue with that is um, I don't want to run my smoker just by itself, right? You just with water. So it's going to take on the flavor of anything I put in there, meats, whatever. So I don't know if I want a meaty. I mean, you're shaking your head like, hey, <laughs> Yeah, let's do a smoked T-bone. Uh. Yeah, dude, I'm going to get a, a smoked prime rib whiskey. Let's do it. <laughs> yeah, that sounds good. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> Why don't you just do some salmon? At least get your omega-3s, omega-6s in oh, there. Yeah. And... Oh, actually, speaking of, last weekend, I actually got to uh, smoke some salmon. I, I smoked, uh, what, it was about five, five pounds oh. of salmon meat. Yeah, it was Chinook. I caught, I got about 15 pounds of meat. So I froze a bunch of it. Some of it started looking kind of discolored. I don't know. For those of you who don't know, um, uh, a salmon, when it makes its trip up, you know, upstream to lay its eggs and stuff, some of them age out a little bit faster. We call them toolies. Um, and the meat, when you, when you cut the fish open, it's actually a little more orange than it is red. 
So it's a little discolored. Now, it's still good meat. It's just not as rich and flavorful as a uh, a normal kind of younger salmon is. So with that meat, most of the time, the best option is to go ahead and smoke it. So that's what I did, dude. I smoked it, and honestly, it turned out awesome. Nice. A, yeah, I really, like, my after tasting it and going through the process, I was a little scared at first because um, with salmon, you have to do a real low smoke. Like, I'm yeah, talking cold smoke. Yeah, I mean, I did a, I did a hot smoke. I, I think I got it up to, like, 175, 200, oh, that's which is definitely – yeah, it's it's generally a little too hot for salmon. Like I had a huge water pan in there. My problem is I have a charcoal, you know, and I got wow. a box, so you can't really just you can't t- fine tune the temperature. It is what it is. You didn't go pick up your new uh, your new smoker? No, I haven't yet, dude. I'm I'm no, I'm so lazy on this, but I have it. I just haven't gone to pick it up and 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 brought it here and put it together yet. I've just been like, ah, it's fine. I can keep using the charcoal one, you know, but I. I'm still kind of like Adrian was telling me the other day. She's like, you know, you got to go get that and you're going to get, you got to get rid of the charcoal. And I'm like, but, but do, do I, I? <laughs> do I, cause I mean, I'll just pick it up, but I still like the charcoal. Yeah. Like I like the taste of it. I still like how, Dude. you know, it, it is kind of a pain in the ass to babysit it. Dude, you give me a reason to drink beer all day and chill out by the smoker? Yeah, I'm in. You, you know, uh, a lot of people knock, knock on charcoal, but but here's the deal. Um, all these people that love wood-fired pizzas, you know, wood-fired pizzas are great. I promise you, they're nothing compared to a, a coal-fired pizza. Yeah? Coal-fired pizza is kind of badass. Oh, yeah, uh, dude. I bet. I don't think I've had one before. Oh, get your, yeah. get your uh, box up. I don't know how you can get your box, but if you can, you can get up to just maybe over 500, 500 yeah. degrees, you'll, you'll, you'll do all right. Okay. Six, I think it's about 625 is probably where you want to be, but I don't know if you can get that hot. No, I don't think so. I think the, the shit, the paint's already ch- coming off of my side oh. box right now. And I've only had it like, I mean, I've had it probably I think four or 500 when you first start it and it's going, uh, most of my meat, I like to smoke right at about 250, 275. Um, but of course the salmon was a lot small, uh, obviously a lot cooler. I didn't want a lot of the, uh, what is it, albumin? I think that's what it is. It's a white substance that actually comes out of the yeah. fish. That's one of, that's, that's one of the scary parts about smoking salmon, man. If you get too much of that albumin that comes through, it's ruined. Meat's done. That's it. You, you messed it up. So I was like, man, I, I swear I was basting that, that salmon every hour, like every 45 minutes, 50 minutes with syrup. I was over there with maple syrup. You know, I brined it overnight, like for 10, 12 hours, let it sit in the brine, pulled it out, let it dry for four hours. And then I'm like, all right, let's smoke this stuff religiously, bro. I was there every 45 minutes to an hour. Like I got my maple syrup. I got my baster. I got to make sure this stuff stays coated. So yeah. did you do uh, cracked pepper or maple syrup on the outside or what did you just nope. maple syrup? Just syrup. So what I did for the brine itself is water, uh, a little bit of sea salt or – well, I, I used kosher salt or or sea salt. Either way it works. No, get some um, pickling salt, man. That's the way to go. Yep, kosher salt. That's what I got, kosher salt and then um, brown sugar. Cool. And I just mixed that all up, let it sit in there to sweeten it a little bit and kind of, of course, coat it. Put that peloton on it, I think it is. Pellicle? develop the pellicle i think that's maybe that's what it is the outer kind of layer and then um once it dried out everything like that i threw it on there basted it with the maple syrup did that for i think like three 
three hours, three, four hours, something like that. And uh, yeah, it came out great. My next thing is going to be salmon jerky, though. Oh, yeah, that sounds good, man. Yeah, man. I've had some from a store before. Salmon jerky's good. Uh, turkey jerky. Dude, anything jerky. I've even anything eaten the, jerky, right? the soy, you know, say it in. I don't know oh, if I'm saying that right. I don't think right. I've had that one before. Jerky, like, <laughs> it's all good, man. You got jerk seasoning, spices. Yeah, I'm <laughs> good, man. Dehydrated. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's all I need. Mm-hmm. Cool, cool. Man, I get weird when they, people bring around uh, jerky bacon. Bacon jerky? I'm going to smash it. I'm going to, I love bacon anyways. You make it into jerky. Let's go. I'm going to eat a whole bag. It's <laughs> just straight fat kid on it. <laughs> All right. Oh, but enough of that tangent. <laughs> That's just the way we get started around here. That is, that is, that is. So, so yeah, well, before we jump into that, let's talk about what we got going on, guys. So, um, we got a lot of cool things in the works. Uh, we've, Got a few sponsors coming on. We've got um, uh, some awesome guests lined up. Yeah, we uh, Thank you for the you know amount of people that have reached out. Dave and I haven't been as diligent about responding to people because oh, there's yeah. been yeah. quite a few that came in through the web form, and we uh, this is a boo boo on us. So if we hadn't responded to you, we're sorry. But um, it was going to an old email address, not our new email address. So we're, we're getting to those emails. We're working through them. Um, but we got some uh, awesome, awesome conversations going based off of it and yep. some new potential guests that have uh, spun off of those conversations. So happy to start diving deep into yeah. laser scanning and point clouds and, you know, um, contracts and all kinds of crazy, crazy stuff. So looking forward to that stuff. Yep. Um, but also we've we've been chatting with a few well-known construction apps that want to come on and tell their story. So we're looking forward to that. Um, and we're going to have, uh, an official, I guess, I don't know what, what his title is. He's a tech, he's a technical support manager, but he's essentially supports all of the CAD managers, um, you know, in the Northwest. Um, that's his role as he, he's a technical support manager, but his sole job is to support pretty much CAD managers. Mm -hmm. Um, he's, he's going to talk to us about, uh, how COVID's impacted things and where he sees trends and what's going on. And um, that'll be a fun one as well. And uh, as next week, we're going to have uh, Eric. Eric, Eric DeLeon from uh, CAD Manager Confessions, who actually inspired us to get to formalize this podcast. Yep. He launched his podcast. We were talking about it. We we're going back and forth. He even gave me a shout out on his first episode where he's like, Joey forced me to do this. But like, you know, he told me that he was doing his podcast, how he was doing it. Uh, he hadn't officially launched it, launched it. And we came to a point where we were ready to launch and he goes, Oh crap. Now I got to launch. So, uh, kind of, kind of, uh, forced it, but, uh, it's yeah, awesome. Yeah. Awesome to, we'll chat about him, but how CAD managers, um, you know, how he rose up through the ranks and, uh, what he's seeing as, uh, you know, again, with trends with COVID, that's a big thing that's going on right now. So we want to talk about it. Um, uh, but today you were about to say today's episode is dedicated to, well, we were going to do, I think we we're going to talk about some standards and, and really um, BIM processes, how we can learn from BIM. Here, you here. Know, here, here. <laughs> Just, there's so many, I mean, there's so many things to talk about, right? BIM is such a varied term. You, know, you have building information modeling, building information management. Uh, it's a gosh. blanket term, man. Like, I want to get, I want to get, um, yeah, ultimately, the idea is to get people from different uh, industries and different segments to come on and talk about 
what BIM means to them. Because BIM yep. to you and me is, I don't know, I feel like you and I have a, a, a good over overview of the toll thing because we have to support so many people in different avenues and aspects of BIM. So we kind of know what BIM means to all these people. Mm-hmm. But I want somebody to come in and like just get granular with their specific thing. And then let's tie them all together. Let's make a bigger conversation to figure out, you know, we're not going to solve contract types, you know, overnight. Yeah. I, I know that. I know, yeah. I know that guys, but <laughs> uh, you know, let's, you know, let's have those conversations and figure out what needs to change and yep. what, what mentalities that owners and everybody needs to have to, to have a healthy BIM environment. Mm-hmm. Yeah, dude, help set expectations or even just realistic, like, views what what we can expect from this what we can what we can get from it how we can improve our processes on it and and kind of what is out there to help us do that right because a lot of people feel like they're swimming and they're they're just floating in there they're treading water exactly right <laughs> just keep swimming just keep swimming like <laughs> we'll just keep treading that water man and we'll keep your head above water and we're good to go but uh Sometimes it's nice to have that little floaty to chill on, right? That that life-saving device or something that you can blow up real quick, such as BIM. In, in many different ways, you can use it to help, I guess, keep you afloat, help guide you to different places, and help better the things that you do. So this ties into standards, uh, but it might fall more under best practices. Mm-hmm. But uh, so I had this, you know, similar conversation today about, um, you know. BIM based off of, you know, standards and all that stuff, but based off of the time frame that you have available for the project, which is ultimately, you know, dictated by the budget, right? I know I have X amount of days in design because I have X amount of money, you know, that's being paid for this job, it's the size, scope, all that sort of stuff. So, if, you know, is it worth me, you know, fudging around and moving all these slabs, you know, 0.3 inches to the right or whatever it is? Or can I just fudge the dimensions, which is going to take me half the time? Yep. So as a designer, you know, you know, our standard might be one way, but it's like, you know, budgets dictate, I'm going to go ahead and fudge this. Yep. But later on, you're causing headaches for somebody else. So that's yep. an instance where like, well, if you had adhered to your standards, we might not have reaped the benefits, but somebody else downstream would have, you know, yep. like, how does that, we we're talking about setting standards earlier for the whole project, but there has to be project-based standards. I get that. There's also um, disciplined, firm-based standards. Yep. So how do we bridge that gap? You know, kind of tie it all back together so that everybody gets the best of both worlds. What would oh, so in this in this scenario? What's your communication? Uh, yeah. Well, with communication, that's how you'd solve it. Just yeah, let I people mean, know that look, these are fudged. I have to meet this no. deadline. No, I would say more of setting expectations for the entire project. Like, okay, if you're a GC, you're a subcontractor, you're an owner, you know, your owner's rep, whatever it is that you that you're doing in this instance, you have to look at what is your end game, right? What's the end game, um, and how do we want to get there? Okay, cool. I could work for this architecture firm, and and this firm may feel like they want to fudge a little bit of stuff so they can meet my deadline and get this out. But you know what? The fact that you just fudge those dimensions and that you just moved everything throws my coordination off. And now my coordination team has to go through and redesign this, reset it essentially, or my construction team might have to go through and remodel this and redetail it. 
the the sad thing is that I don't think those complaints make it to the owner. So that's the screwed up part of this. Yep. As yep. Your, so communication comes back, like, you know, uh, the owners, you know, wondering why he's getting hit with a new bill for something. Mm-hmm. Well, it's because we have to redesign stuff because the model wasn't designed for constructability purposes. Yep. Well, what does that mean? You that got your sheet set. expense, man. That thing, that right there, um, what is it? It really grinds my gears. I'm going to go peak Peter Griffin on it. But like, it you know does. It, my gears? You know, it grinds my gears. Uh, rework, <laughs> you know? And I mean, honestly, that's a big portion of it. Um, people need to understand like, yeah, okay. If, you, if you're only going to take it to this level, you're only going to take it to this LOD, Cool, fine. You need to communicate that with everybody involved in the process. So this GC, the subcontractor, whoever it is, knows they need to get involved sooner in the process. And that time that they've already, you know, or that they're going to need to put into it is already documented. It's already in the budget. Instead yeah. of thinking you're going to get this great constructible model and realize, shit, we need to rewind this about, you know, two, three weeks because we're going to spend a couple of weeks redetailing all of this or moving things around so our coordination does line up. My penetration holes in this concrete are good. So when yeah. I fabricate or prefabricate, it's it's going to line up like it so, needs to. So a lot of people are there are a lot of owners i guess are like you know we don't want to spend the money for this and that makes sense but the the issue is there's no one person acting in the even though you have a cm or something like that there's no or even an owner's right there's no one person that's acting as the great overseer of all that's watching that budget or even really knows that yes it's going to cost you more money to do this but it's going to lead to this for example laser scanning right um if 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 I know that the designs are kind of fudged in some aspects, I know that it would save us so much time and money to laser scan X amount of, you know, X interval on the project, not only to capture work completed, but to get an accurate as-built, to update our coordination uh, for the next floor, next level, next zone, whatever it is, but we're, we have all this information to work from. I was chatting with somebody who literally told me that the first uh, uh, the first floor of the building, they were doing a, uh, I don't know if it was a skyscraper or, or what, but they were like on the 15th floor. And they, you know, somebody had said something about the total station, you know, didn't work. It didn't work. Uh-huh. So they, they, they stopped using it. Well, it's because the points that they were pulling from on the first floor weren't actual real points. They were just fudged in so they gave up and they just copied that going up every floor i think they were like the 15th floor or something like that yeah before they before they called the person back out there to show them how to use the total station only to find out that look you're you know you're just doing this wrong the total station is perfect it just measures angles and distances your whole process was off because it didn't align with actually your design you were going off of dimensions that you couldn't even hand read because you didn't look at the model or anything now had you done all that stuff based off the model, you have been you've been Nat's ass. Now had we incorporated laser scans and did the, you know, verification workflow, mm-hmm. too, we would have caught that instantaneously. We would have known by the end of floor one that all this shit's off in the wrong you know in the wrong spot. Floor two, let's make a correction. Floor one, do you know, do we need to issue rework or is it fine as is and then move forward. Yep. But um, you know, incorporating scans into that whole process, laser scanning into that process, we would actually know you know where these where these issues are, and then 
it could actually be part of our handover too, because we're talking about billing for an as-built. Well, shit, I just paid you to scan every yep. floor. I'm sure you got yep. all these damn you scans after everything's done. You got an as-built. Come on. Hell yeah. Yep. And you know, what's funny, dude, is, I mean, it's funny, but it's not. Um, a lot of people are thinking we need to hire someone with this, this experience. We need to hire someone who knows laser scanning. But the problem with that is most of the time you'll get a person that might know laser scanning, but they don't know what your company does. Like they don't know how your workflows work, how your processes are. They don't, they don't understand how you do things. A lot of times what I found, and we have a conversation about this just before we started yeah. recording the podcast, it, it's, hey, take some people that, that understand what you do and train them. Send yeah. them to some training. So, I guarantee you that's going to be cheaper. So, yeah, and it's definitely going to be cheaper in the long run because you're not going to have to retrain somebody. Here's the, here's the issue. Everybody I know that really knows laser scanning has started a side, has started their own business. Yeah. Doing laser scanning. <laughs> I'm just going to say it. Look, you might be yeah. a laser scanning professional. You might do this at, at, you know, you know, top XYZ construction firm, but I tell you what, you don't know them better than the person that, that does it for uh, their, their own business. And, you know, I'll challenge you. I'll challenge you to that. Cause I'll connect you with uh, some people that know it inside and out. That, that know the philosophy, that know the, the damn science and know every aspect about it. They know the damn, they should be a damn PhD in laser scanning because <laughs> these guys would have it. And not only that, uh, they can show you how to do your job faster and smarter than, than you're currently doing it. Um, but, but that said, you know enough of your job to do your job. These guys, uh, they learned enough took it to the next level. And then they went out and they're like, ah, oh, it's not worth working for anybody. I'll just charge 15, $20,000 per scan, you know, per, per project and just keep moving on. Yep. And they're doing well, they're doing well for a reason. They're doing well because, um, they understand it. They understand the pain points better than, than you ever will. It's crazy. Yep. 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 It's, it's a huge, I don't want to say a gap, but it is something in our industry that does need to be addressed. Well, it definitely does. Well, and then, and then here's the other side of that. Uh, those guys that really know laser scanning, then they hire the same person that you would have hired <laughs> to, that they trained to go and back yep. the laser scan. So here's the bottom line. Just hire somebody. doesn't matter who it is. doesn't matter if they understand scanning. If they, even know, if they don't even know what a point cloud is, as long as they can spell it. I think that should be the, the requirement because um, you can get them to speed. And if you can't get them to speed, damn sure we can get them up to speed. Exactly. Um, yeah. And if you got somebody in your company that you know is, you know, they want to learn, they, they are good at, at understanding how things work and you want to take it to the next level, send them to some training. Send yeah. them to training. Get them trained up on it. Let them go. Yeah, you, you know? do a bunch of stuff with scanning and stuff for our employer. Like you're the yeah. – you're one of the guys that's on the forefront of technology. And I uh, love it. I love yeah. it. Anytime I can get my hands on a scanner, I'm all about it, dude. I, I brought the GLS home. I brought the GTL home. I, I mean, come on, dude. The process itself, like scanning in general for me is a fun experience, right? Yeah. It's a learning experience every damn time. Like, I mean, yes, if you pick up the GTL, it's going to be different than the GLS. So I, you know, I still have that learning curve, but at the same time, the fundamentals are the same. I, I need to set up, I need to calibrate, I, you know, I'm going to do a backsite and resection essentially, you know, I'm going to do that to tell it where, where I'm at. And, and, and once you get that information, once you calibrate it, right, it, the, the data that you can pull from these scans 
is invaluable. It really yeah. is. I mean, it, it, as you say, it's a it's a deliverable as built. It's a way that we can verify construction. Like we can verify the construction against the design. We can verify the design against the as built conditions. There's so many things that we can do with one scan. And I mean, honestly, yes, okay. If you have a big ass building, it's going to take a little bit of time to scan it, right? But at the same time, getting that scan again is going to be very invaluable to your entire project but the things that you can do with it yeah yeah i'm with you man i don't know how we got on scanning from from standards but uh, i don't know <laughs> i'm sure i led the way sorry hashtag tangents Hashtag. I don't, I don't know what this sign is. But, uh, I don't know. Is that WWE? Yeah. <laughs> Triple H right there. No, uh, uh, DX, man. D yeah, yeah, yeah. G Generation uh, X. Generation X, yep, yep, yep. Is it Generation X or D-Generation X? I don't know. I think it's D-Generation X. Generation X, okay. Yeah, I don't know. I don't. I don't even know what generation. Am I Y? Am I Z? What the? What the? What, the, what am I, man? Like an idea about that. I, I, I like um, uh, Eliza Schlesenberg's uh, thing. Elder millennial. That's what I am. <laughs> I'm an elder millennial. Guys. I like that. I like that. Oh man. But no, I mean. Killed I two of these red solo cups, man. Good God. Yeah. You know what's funny is I'm watching you like open up a damn bottle right now and half of it disappears. <laughs> yeah, it's empty now, man. There you go. There you go. It's gonna disappear anyways. That's yeah. my uh, magic. Ah, uh, dude. I, I I mean with standards, I think it's important. Like communication in general is a huge thing that we need to address, right? Communication in terms of the owner now. There's a whole nother portion to this as well, education, right? Oh Educating the owner on what to expect, what to ask for, because we have a lot of these owners out there. And I mean, Joey, you and I have talked about this so much. They don't, they don't know. And I feel so bad because some of these owners will get set up for failure. Now, not meaningful set up for failure, but they're asking for BIM. Yeah. Exactly. They're at, yeah. They ask for BIM. And they don't know what that really means. Like, okay, so, let's get this 3D model. But you get this 3D model with a bunch of unintelligent geometry in it. What is that going to give you, really? So, so um, we've used this story anecdotally for for quite some time now. But there's this uh, municipality that we know that um, didn't specify BIM. They asked for BIM on a project, didn't write in what it is. Somebody provided like LOD, you know, not even LOD, you know, 100, like LOD negative 100. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yep. Oh, you want a building? Here's your building. <laughs> like it's it's so bad. But anyways, to specify this stuff, the place got flooded. Yep. They needed to pull this information. They were like, oh, it's in the model. You know, the O&M manuals are on site. So they were like, oh, let's um, let's look at the BIM model and see what we've got. And they realized they had nothing. So now they are compensating, overcompensating rather by throwing millions of dollars at this new yes, BIM, which is cool, right? I mean, cut your teeth, you know, on this one to make up for the last one, and then you'll figure it out going forward that I don't need to spend this much. But that said, um, you know, you know, you know, next time, like, yep. <laughs> like you're yeah, going to have these, learn. yeah, this, there, this is essentially setting your standards for the next 
and and so on and so on. So. Yeah, dude. I mean, honestly, that's an important part of it as well. I I, I think I've talked about this a couple times. AAR, APRs, like an after action review or after project review, doing stuff like that to figure out how you can improve, what you can improve on moving forward. You know, good, better, best kind of thing. Um, that's got to be part of the process with anybody. But I, I mean, this has got to be Johan Tuckler. Oh, definitely. It does. Education. It's got to be, be another Johan Johan on. Yeah, yeah, dude, we talked about this last podcast, but I, I really want to bring Johan on again to have a, another conversation about what owners want. You know, what do they want? What do they expect? And how can we educate them in not just contracts? I mean, contracts is a huge part of it. It really is. But also in in knowing what to expect from this whole BIM you know, process. Okay. We want BIM. Okay. What LOD do you want? What timeline are we looking at? You know, what, there's so many different things. Like, what are you going to do with this model? Are you taking in this into a facilities management? You know, are, are, are you actually going to track and analyze the heating system and you have little sensors in it? Are you going to see where you're losing pressure or, you know, do you have a paper mill where you're tracking your flow, your gallons per minute to make sure nothing gets stuck or clogged up? You're tracking all your different, um, well, I want to say valves or flanges, what have you, you know, you have a whole tracking system, maintenance machine, maintenance system. It, it depends on what you're doing with this information and how you can optimize this, right? But not only that, how can you optimize the design itself, the design process? Because, I mean, it all goes together. It's all one stream of information. If we can set it up to begin with to know I'm going to need an LOD 350 or 400 by the end of this. These are the elements that I really want to put this information into. I need to have the warranties for all of my, you know, my mechanical equipment for any pumps, any valves, what have you, or, you know, whatever it is, we, we need to figure this out, dude. I was in a, uh, I was in a meeting today and it's funny, but I was I was actually demoing out Formit. I was demoing out Formit, Dynamo, and Insight. And this firm had let me know that right now they were trying to figure out what Formit was and why they would use it. Okay, and 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 I'm talking to them about well, what are you guys currently using? Oh, well, Grasshopper, Rhino, SketchUp, you know, a whole bunch of different things. Well, Grasshopper in Rhino, but they're using a whole bunch of different programs, a whole bunch of different softwares to try and stitch this one model together. So it's something that they could hand over. And I'm like, Whoa. okay, I understand. Like that's one of our industry's problems. Like, I mean, it's not a problem, obviously. It's, it's, it's a good thing when you have a lot of different competing softwares out there that are available. Yeah. That's a good thing, right? It makes the industry better, more cut cutthroat in, in, in a way like they make you want to make your product better to compete right but in this sense too you why are you using five different programs to do one workflow mm. you know you, you know yeah. that you want to get here like but, let's figure out how we can optimize the stuff that we have to kind of work towards so, the end goal so it's it's like this your accountant uses let's just Hypothetically, your accountant uses Excel, your subcontractor, your GC or whatever uses Word, and your marketing department uses PowerPoint, right? Those are things. How are you supposed to marry all those three things as a hand, as a deliverable? Mm -hmm. Well, you've got to take, you know, 
each one from from each application and copy them into one and then share that out. that's how you do it the same is true in what we do right so uh mostly interior designers for whatever reason you know sketchup is king right that's just the way it is um so they're going to use sketchup you know that said you know uh, i'm guilty i use sketchup i love sketchup um when it was free a google product before it was uh yep, the, the big product. Yep, yep, yeah, yep, yep. Yeah, yeah four letter word there uh anyways <laughs> uh, <laughs> my own qualms and quirks anyways uh you know like so they use that yeah the other side of that though is uh mcneil so mcneil for those of you guys who don't know they've got a history pass with autodesk they used to be autodesk resellers that were really pro uh predominant in the Northwest. They developed their own products. Autodesk said, drop it, resell it. You know, I'm paraphrasing here, but they chose their own product over it and they make a great product. I don't know if you've done surface modeling inside of, uh, um, you know, a sketch, or I said SketchUp. Uh, um, uh, damn it. What's their bread and butter, their main pro? McNeil? Uh, McNeil. So they make Rhino, they make uh, Grasshopper, Flamingo, maybe it's Rhino, I think is what I'm thinking of. I think of. it's Rhino, yeah. Yeah. Talking about. yeah. Uh, anyway, so they make all these great products like uh, that do different things, like Flamingo's great at rendering and stitching stuff together and all that stuff. So, like, how do you bridge that gap and make all these programs talk? Well, people do amazing things with these software. There's a skill set that they use with this software because it behaves like no other software. And, you know, I'm not knocking Autodesk, I'm just saying – and I'm not promoting the other way. I'm just saying, like, this does great at this. This does great at this. Like, there is this um, um, ship-making company that comes to mind. They use um, Rhino for surface modeling of the uh, exterior of the hull for, like, high-end, like, custom yachts. The interior is done in Revit, so all the systems, uh, architectural-type features, mm -hmm. pardon me, are done inside of Revit. They marry the two together to make this remarkable product. But you were just saying that like, well, why do people work in these different things, these different softwares? But here's the thing, like sometimes some software is great at one thing, one software is great at the other. If we can find a way to communicate those two to each other, it doesn't mean that one software has to be king. I would love to promote Revit all day long. Damn it, I am. Revit is freaking gold. You guys, <laughs> stop that shit right now. No, I'm just kidding. But, but, uh, you know, like going down that tangent, though, uh, with Rhino, Grasshopper, all that sort of stuff um, there. Do you remember Travis Williams from our uh, Dynamo Roundtable for yes. the yep. Festival of Vim? OK, cool. You know, go check out our Festival of Vim and Digital Construction <laughs> Roundtable. <laughs> There's yeah, our plug. Uh, anyways, he was talking about his um, his need to develop in Dynamo and what that sort of. Uh, went around and really it came down to needing to connect Revit to Rhino. He had people that really knew Revit and he had people that really knew Rhino. Those Rhino people weren't going to adopt new technology, but they were gold. They were worth their weight in gold. Regardless of what application they used, they were phenomenal people. Like um, if you only ever used Carlson software, I mean, I'd hate you for life. But if you only ever use Carlson software and I was pro civil 3D um, and you just like you were like a million picks clip clicks per minute 
inside of Carlson. I was a million clicks per minute in Civil 3D. You would never ask me to go to Carlson, and I would never ask you to go to Civil 3D. It just it wouldn't be beneficial. It doesn't make sense. So, yeah. so we've got to keep our, our our gaps. But at the end of the day, how do we work together? How do we feed this data in the same thing? Dynamo is a great freaking way to yes. get this. I know yes. we're talking about standards and we want to send those on one application. Blah, blah, blah. But come on, man. At the end of the day, if we're just aggregating data and aggregating, taking it on Navisworks, taking it on Dynamo, I don't really care. Yeah. Just At the end of the day, though, that's it. It doesn't matter. So, you know, yes, I like to say let's stick to one software, but you're you're completely right. Like, it, it, it there are things that other softwares do better than others, right? Completely. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's, that's just hand down. That is the way it is. And the thing I, I like to think about at that end is not – just what you're doing in that sense but the deliverable right that's where it needs to be standardized in a sense of oh yeah your file can be interpreted here here and here like this okay and that's where we really need to get because you know and i i know autodesk well, is a, a lot to that's interpret a project that data. standard that's definitely that's i think that's more i think a project standard sets the president in the tone more than um our company standard our yeah. company standard should be fluid. Yes. Yes, yes. we should train you know, Josh, Steve, and Ryan to do things our way. But at the end of the day, look, you know, Mr. Subcontractor XYZ owner, whoever wants to see this, we we have to adapt. It's all about fluidity. It's agility is the better word, yep. right? We want to be agile. Yep. Um, we want to be as agile as possibly can, um, while not sacrificing time. Look. You know, here's here's a prime example. How fast? How much faster are you in Revit than you are in AutoCAD? Oh, a lot. A lot yeah. faster, dude. I can I can model my house in you know 45 minutes. Maybe I don't know, bullshit. But uh, if I was to draw it in AutoCAD, it'd probably take me two hours, two and a half hours. Yep. Like I just yep. I suck that bad at AutoCAD. But but anyways, um, just just for examples here. Um, but my say my deliverable is a DWG. Shit, I'm gonna draw in Nautica and, and Revit. Revit and export that shit. Yeah. Yeah. Right? Yeah, export that shit. Yeah. So, so going back to your point, it, it is all about the project deliverable. Our our internal deliverables might still mandate Revit. And again, going back to the conversation I had earlier with this gentleman uh who's founded his uh consulting BIM company. Um, you know, he worked for he still works for another company that performs in Revit all the time. That said, most like 90% of the people they work with are still in AutoCAD. The reason why he does Revit, though, is they are so much faster in Revit for their segment. Exporting those DWGs is like nothing. Like they can just kick them out. No problem. Um, So their standards aren't dictated by the project standards, but their project standards do dictate the way in which they work to an extent. So you kind of got to. You got to well, start with the endpoint reverse engineer. Yes, and I think that's where you also need to analyze your strengths and weaknesses, right? And 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 tying back to communication in this sense, like, hey, my team is ready to do this. They are, you know, we can kick you out of file format in this sense, and we're gonna go. We're ready to go to this LOD. Great. Once you communicate that to the pro, like throughout every or throughout the process to everyone involved in that project right at that point everyone knows this is what we're getting this is where we're going to start 
this is where we need to finish, right? And I think everybody needs to get in that mindset. Like I, I, I often kind of go back to my army mentality. This is my mission, right? At the, this is what this I need to do. This is my rifle. This is my gun. Yeah, this is my gun. There's that many like it, but this one is mine. But oh, <laughs> in Sorry, that man. sense, like, no, you're right. It, it's, it, it's this project, man. And, and knowing, okay, this, this is what the expectations are. This is what the end deliverable needs to be how far in this process can we go right and knowing that accepting that like right now we can take you this far we can give it up to this great because that's not wasting anybody's time downstream and not having anybody come back and do rework because turns out you didn't give them what they need right and and having that communication throughout the entire construction life cycle, design, you know, construction handover, what have you, that's going to benefit everyone involved. Well, well if it's an LOD 300 or higher, I damn near recommend almost always get a damn laser scan at every yeah. stage you can. Because oh yeah, dude. Oh, otherwise, yeah. you're gonna be fighting it. Just just do it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, Dave and I will come out and film it. We want to have fun with the laser scan. Oh yeah, we do. Yes, we do. Yes, please. Yes. But I need to go pick one from my office here and uh, play around with my property, man. Uh, Yeah, dude. I got to scan my house a little while ago. I made a nice little model of it. I've been playing around with it and Revit here and there. Like, what do I want to do? Like, uh, do we want to move this wall? Maybe. Yeah. Yeah. Let's let's figure it out. Is this going to turn, you know, of investment? It'd be nice if you could, you know, somehow label it as structural. I mean, you can inside of Revit, obviously, but like slap a big S on it, like dollar signs. Like, well, maybe we don't move that wall, but maybe we move this wall. <laughs> yeah, dude. Yes. Yeah. You know, and um, but, you know, it's funny tying back to tying back to our previous kind of statement there with Dynamo. Dynamo is not program specific. It's not. It's not. It's not. So that's the beautiful thing about Dynamo. If I start in something like Formit, right? Okay, Autodesk's version of SketchUp. I'm conceptual design. Can I take a damn script from Formit into Revit? Yes, you can. Yes, you can. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. I can take this damn script into Civil 3D. Now, okay, going from Revit or Formit into Civil 3D, probably not the same information, probably not the same shit you're looking for, but you can, you know, you can, you can do stuff. It's still going to interpret it. Now, in that sense, though, developing these scripts, adopting something like Dynamo can help you again as you're moving forward throughout the process. Because guess what? Not everybody needs to know how to freaking code to use it. If I have the Dynamo player and like a conversation I had today, they actually the architecture firm that I spoke to received scripts from the structural design firm because it made it easier for them to update links and update their model, like to know everything that was going on within the project as it was. It was easier for the structural firm to share a Dynamo script and they could go play on their Dynamo player than it would be for them to try and have them do everything else and for that team to learn it. I would love to chat with you offline about who that uh, structural team was. That's awesome, man. It is awesome. It is. But I mean, that's also another thing that, you know, I'm looking forward to in our industry. If we can start, you know, you and I like to share. You and I like to share. We're givers, man. What can I say? I will literally give you the shirt off my back. You might not want to see the site, but I will give you the shirt off my back. I might not look at the armpits of it, but you know what? (laughs) It'll keep you somewhat warm. (laughs) 
We're all just hairy monkeys, damn it. We're all just hairy monkeys, that's it. But sharing that information, knowing that, okay, it might make things a little bit easier for them is great, but knowing that when they push play and it gives your team a deliverable that saves your team time, great, right? I mean, honestly, why wouldn't you do that? Oh, we don't want to share this Dynamo script. Why? You're going to let proprietary. Shut exactly. Up. Yeah. I mean, come on, man. I know you guys spend time on this stuff. I know, you know, you make ends meet and you're like, this is fantastic. If you can share that with someone that's involved in your project, because let's let's not even say it makes it easier for them. I mean, obviously it might make something easier for them, but if it benefits your team because of that, dude, it, all, it makes sense. Peace. People want to work with you more, like seek you out yes. more because yes. of that one script. Yes. Yeah, you came in, you know, $3,000 more than the last, you know, Joe. But you know what? That script, man, I remember yep. that script. It was worth it. Yep. And you know what? We saved money in change orders or we saved money here. We saved money there. But, you know, cool. You guys Dude, were a little I, bit expensive, but cool. I am always amazed at what people are doing with Dynamo scripts. I remember still talking to a friend of ours that's a piping company. Um, and how they were using Dynamo to push. They used Dynamo in the most. For trenching. Yeah, in the most. Yeah, way. dude. They were placing a boundary, a buffer, essentially, over the pipes. Mm-hmm. And then the pipes would catch. Sorry, my hands are dirty. They'd give it an offset. Yeah, it would give them an offset, essentially. Uh, it was a buffer. This is an offset, mm-hmm. whatever. But um, it would let them know where to trench with so they could feed to their machine control, their excavation could come in and dig that shit up and know exactly where it is. And if, for those of you guys that don't know anything about automation and machine control, it is awesome. Yep. I can it feed is. my, if I have a design file, I can feed that to my machine control. And for the, let's explain, explain like preach to dumb people, right? We, we talk to a lot of people that are in industry and we use all these acronyms and terms, but people are like, what the fuck are you talking about guys? Uh, so machine control is uh, a term that applies to um, horizontal you know, construction. Say, yeah, yeah. Hor- well, horizontal construction. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. We'll say negative vertical construction mm-hmm. <laughs> more often. <laughs> it's below not. the ground. It's below the ground, guys. Uh, but primarily, it's about um, digging up dirt and moving dirt, dirt and all that sort of stuff yeah. to get to a certain grade. And you know, again, for grade, for you guys don't know, that's the level that you're supposed to be at. Um, whether you are at or you're supposed to be at. So there's existing and, and finished. And, and the way it works is essentially, say I have this giant uh, excavator, this giant uh, piece of equipment. What it has is... Um, a couple antennas. Yeah, antennas, GPS units on the side. Sorry for my pits, guys. I don't know what the hell's going on. <laughs> <laughs> That's kidding. I had to call it out. Damn it. No. No, uh, so I've got <laughs> GPS this way, guys. No, I've got uh, GPS units on on the side, and they're controlling the the blade, the tilt of the blade too. So I've got this blade underneath my machine, right? So if this GPS units uh, says this side has to be higher than this side, it knows the difference based off the drawing. So when I get over a certain point, it's like, oh, uh, Steve's drawing says it has to be this high. Mm layer you know level and it's going to push the dirt across that that part you know for us what and as i get to the next part it's like oh actually right here it needs to be lower and it's going to cut down and go across and you know all that sort of stuff it does all that based off the drawing it's controlling the blade based off of the driver's movements yep. 
so in the drawing, right? So the drawing says we need to be here, you know, at this finished grade all the way across, but my dirt looks like this. It's going to, you know, the blade's going to say, well, we need to do this to, you know, uh, counter counteract all that and push the dirt all across. Yeah. Really it takes all the guesswork out of it, damn it. Yeah, it does, dude. I, I, when I was in Afghanistan, I operated a lot of machinery my first deployment. So I operated graders, scrapers, loaders, dozers, rollers, you name it. I was in it, right? And for me, especially operating like a grader, I'm looking at these stakes and I'm like, okay, cool. This is where I need to drop my blade. This is how I need to do it. I'm going to drop it down a little bit on this side. Oh crap. I'm going to try to cut for a curve. Or I'm going to try to cut for a building here, you know, and you're, you have eight different freaking levers inside of a grader. Like each one, let's say this one drops the blade. This one drops the right side. This one drops the left side. This one actually moves it over. This one moves it back. It tilts it forward, pulls it back. There's so many different things that need to happen with this equipment and and that piece of equipment, holy shit, you just completely disappeared. Now you're there. <laughs> Very proud of Clark, man. This piece of equipment, like to know where it needs to cut based off of the design file itself takes that Crazy. level of human error out, right? But let's think about this realistically. If that person in that piece of equipment messes up the grade, right? Even for us, let's, let's say for your piping and the slope is off. Is that going to throw off what you do? If you're laying pipe, if you're designing this pipe? Yes, it is. Damn straight it is. It is, dude. The funny thing is, you know, well, being in well, vertical construction, about, we think often of, think about like this being a disconnected process. I'm thinking about what I do in my workflow, but as an overall project, all of this shit is, is connected. Um, machine control, vertical construction is connected to horizontal well, construction. But the ground well, needs to be right before I can build my building. So here's the idea. We're all in this, uh, you know, these these segments, but at the end of the day, we, we're, we're still just one project. So how does this project come together? Um, you kind of hit the nail on the head there about the – you always hit the nail on the head, David. Sorry, I'm not giving you the credit Ooh. you deserve. Uh, no. I'm not the hero, you, hero you want. I'm the hero you deserve. Like goes. Was that? <laughs> that's not Batman. I Lego was Batman? Batman? Was that, I think it was Batman. Lego uh, Batman. Yeah. Lego Batman. Yeah. 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 Lego Batman. Yeah. 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 <laughs> oh. Damn it. Will Arnett, I think. I think, yes, it was it's, Will Arnett. <laughs> I can't stand him as an actor, but I love him as a voice actor, man. <laughs> he always plays the most annoying character. Oh, oh, yeah. Oh, gosh. What was that one with Will Ferrell? Uh, Blades of Glory. Blades of Glory. Damn it. Blades of Glory. I was thinking of yes. that, and I was thinking of Modern Family. And I'm like, both of them, I was like, oh, he makes me cringe. <laughs> uh, anyways, uh, so we were talking about disconnected workflows and, you know, your job and all that sort of stuff. But as we were talking, um, machine control guy comes out, does his thing, grids it, all that sort of stuff. It's not machine control. It's not automated. So he's just, you know, doing this little bit of guesswork and then, yeah, he's taking, you know, his cuts from the design drawing. He thinks he's at the right elevation. He comes out. Yep. Here's the deal. You've got a gravity system that needs a certain slope in order for literally shit to roll downhill. How does that work if you're off? It don't. Shit yeah, don't roll downhill, don't damn it. Don't roll downhill. Yeah, dude. <laughs> You're so, right, man. It's all connected. It really yeah. is. 
So we started this podcast talking about, well, we started this podcast talking standards. about tangents, but we got into standards. Standards is where we wanted to be. And 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 ideally, um, as we we're talking about standards and, and all these things, I guess the standard that we should be talking about is project standards. And the number one project standard is communication. Because if I'm not communicating to, you know, Joe, on, so if I'm the guy out in the field, right, and I'm owning up to the way that I did this, right, Hey, Mr. Steve on the, you know, you know, mechanical contractor or piping contractor side, um, the re, you know, the way that I got my cut fill and all that stuff is based off of this. Well, shit, I know that, well, crap, that's not right. Either you need to go back out there and redig this, or I need to come back and recalculate my mouth to figure this out. Are you all right, man? I just dropped my damn glass. Yeah, I'm good. Did it break? <laughs> good? Catch yeah, it? <laughs> no, I didn't catch it, but we're all right. I'm out, man. I'm I'm out. <laughs> Time to go to the, the liquor store. Yeah. Now that they're open, yeah. I don't know how you guys are doing over there with COVID, bud, but uh, they've lifted a lot of our restrictions. So, because uh, we've like had next to no cases. So, um, oh, nice, dude. Help yeah, jumping know. along, man. Jumping along. I love any it. Any of that, actually. Um, shit's been getting worse. They're like, oh, you know, oh. riots in Portland and. Oh, dude, the riots are freaking asinine, dude. I can't believe it. Like, you get, you know, one percent of people destroying it for everybody else, and then, you know, they give that whole group a bad name, which, yep. you know. Yep. Dude, I need to. Sucks. I need to grab a towel real quick. I will You're be good, right man. back. I'm gonna grab a You're towel. Good. <laughs> You're good. I'll uh, I'll chat about the uh, the riots in Portland that I know nothing about because I no longer live there, guys. I live in Pittsburgh. Um, that said, we do follow a lot of the riots that are going on and all the stuff. Uh, you know, my wife's family's in Rochester. There's a lot of stuff going on in Rochester right now. Um, you know, we stay far away from that stuff. We live in a more rural area. Uh, that said, you know. Hearts go out to the families, friends involved, all that fun stuff. But um, for those that are rioting, that do encounter this stuff, it's I don't know, man. It's kind of it's kind of scary seeing the um, uh, you know the 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 violent, aggressive parts of it, you know, kind of dominate that and then dominate the news in turn and all that stuff. It's unfortunate. It's unfortunate thing. Yeah, it is what it is. I that guess. said, man, there was something I wanted to get with all this COVID stuff. Dude, did you see the news today? 250,000 suspected cases of COVID because of Sturgis. <laughs> Sturgis, yeah. <laughs> and I only wanted to get to this because I wanted to brag about my motorcycle. Doing <laughs> uh, but uh, uh, Sturgis, man, that's great. 250,000 is a big damn number, especially for the Dakotas. That's a big damn number, yeah. 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 I think, what is that? The population of South Dakota as a whole is 200,000? <laughs> <laughs> probably, dude. Probably. Oh, man. That's you all right, dude? You all right? You're good. wiping I'm a little frivolously. upset. Like I, spill, I just dropped my damn old-fashioned. That's what I'm a little upset about. I'm more upset about that than the fact that I had to clean up a mess. Like, well. Ah, well. <laughs> my Damn it. I wasted it. a Oh, man. Yeah. <laughs> That said, let me segue into my tangent about motorcycles. <laughs> That's good. That's so good. Uh, I don't know. If, I'm pretty sure we brought this up on previous episodes because I uh, I like to brag about the work I'm doing. 
Uh, <laughs> I've got, I've got a motorcycle I'm repairing. Uh, first of all, my kitchen that I just finished, nearly finished, is like HGTV worthy. It's, it's phenomenal, man. It's so beautiful. Got subway tile. I gotta hang some floating shelves and just touch a paint, but I'm good. Subway tile, uh, you know, ceiling height cabinets, you know, beautiful floor two-tone cabinets, yep. stainless steel appliances. COVID has been good for uh, uh, Home Depot <laughs> pricing, just want to say. <laughs> uh, except for wood right now is like three times as much as it was pre-COVID. But that said, like tile has never been te- cheaper. Appliances have never been cheaper. It's been phenomenal. Um, but that said, I bought this motorcycle because uh, my wife finally, after like 10 years, said I could have one. Seven years. Seven years said I could finally have one. I used to ride motorcycles nonstop in Texas. I um, I loved. I had a street bike. It was a YZF 600R. Loved it. It was uh, so fun to ride. I rode it everywhere. My wife wanted to go to the movies. We'd she'd hop on the back. We'd go to the movies. We as soon as we had our daughter. And that said, I was you know to her credit, I was not the best uh, motorcycle rider. I had uh, you know full disclosure here. I had ridden um under the influence several times i had lost three friends in motorcycle accidents all under the influence two actually hit each other and perished and this is in a uh, good old day in texas yep. um so that said my wife was like you know we're selling our motorcycle i selling all my stuff i was moving to oregon sold the motorcycle she's like you're not ready on a motorcycle you're not going to have one it's done I agree. Not was not right in the right mental state, you know, doing 120, 130 miles an hour down the road. Yeah, yeah. Inebriated, not fun. Uh, for your wife who's at home, you know, yeah. hoping you make it oh, yeah. safe. Yep. 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 That That's said, true. that shit's behind me, guys. I am up to my past. Um, I I'm at home all the time. So hey, bro, we do dumb is, shit. It is what it is. That's that's part of life, right? You live and you learn. I was yeah, I was young, man. Anyways. I, I drink. I only drink at home. I don't drink out of restaurants. I don't drink anywhere. If I drink at home, I stay home. That's yep. my rule. Um, that uh, said, anyways, I, I drink everywhere. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> now I, I will not get too drunk to drive. That's my thing. Like, yeah, I, I, I don't know. I've always been. Uh, I did it one time, where I got a little too drunk. And I was like, well, maybe I can still drive. And I shit you not, I got about f- not even five minutes down the road. And I was like, this is not uh, not what I want to do today. Yeah. So I turned my ass right around. Uh, that shit just scares me, you know? Once you reach that certain level, you know you shouldn't drive? Don't do that shit. I've got a one and done policy. So uh, mm-hmm. after one beer, I have to wait at least two hours. Oh, okay. Um, That's a good one. It's a long damn time, but you know what? Right no, that's good. Figure it out. Otherwise, yep. uh, my wife will drive or I'll take an Uber home. And the reason yep. is, uh, before I lost any of my friends' motorcycle accidents, I know we're taking a dark, dark turn here, guys. Yeah. But, but this is real life, guys, right? This is real life. This is what you guys, you know, uh, click to see. Uh, two of my friends, uh, one who I'll actually be naming my next kid after, uh, um, perished in a uh, automobile accident driving drunk they were like 17 years old still in high school uh drinking and driving um we were all partying 
And then uh, next day I find out they were involved in a car accident mm-hmm. um, where they actually killed the driver. They, they hit head on oh, and killed wow. the next driver. So all three of them died. Um, that other person, I, if, if I remember correctly, had a new kid on the way. So it was like ah. kid drives, you know, kid, kid arrives, uh, parentless, two young kids die. It's just, it sucks. It's just a yep. hard, hard thing. Um, so the passenger in that vehicle, his name is Riley. Um, we are planning on naming our daughter Riley. Um, That's love awesome. the guy. He was such a sweet kid. Um, I know he would have never driven drunk, but you know, he was yep. a passenger at least and he allowed himself to be a passenger and that's the way it works. Yep. Plus the life of 17. Anyways, uh, all these friends that perish because of alcohol and, and motorcycles. And uh, my wife was like, look, you're not getting another motorcycle. And I was like, look, 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 wait, check this out. I want to make this a really cool motorcycle. And I want, it's a project. It's not a motorcycle. <laughs> Think of it that way. It's a project, not a motorcycle. Yeah. Uh, it's going to take me a year to finish before I actually get to do any cool stuff with it. That's not a sport bike. I'm not doing 130. It's a, it's a, it's a chopper, you know, it's a motorcycle. And she's like, yeah, I've, I've got another one on the way right now. And my wife's like, oh, I don't know. Uh, but finally she came around to the idea because her little brother just bought an old BMW motorcycle. And um, now here we are. I actually bought a motorcycle, cost me like 500 bucks. And I'm cutting the shit out of it and chopping the heck out of it. And it's going to be a dang old cool, mo- you know, bobber when I'm done with it. But uh, it's a 1985 Honda Magna VF 700. And the reason why I bring it up, my hands are disgusting right now because I've been playing with um those uh, honda magnas are awesome i had a 70 what is a 79 cb honda cb 650 those cbs are freaking gold man yeah those are gold man uh so so uh there's this there's these few years that honda really excelled at motorcycle making it's like 83 to 87 uh those were the fun years bro i mean you look at the yamaha v max back then you look at the yamaha 700 750s so dude those were some mean bikes that was back in the uh, day like when it was they were they were pushing power through these bikes to make them faster and there's a reason between it um so they were high compression motorcycles during that particular span reagan had implemented this whole notion of um you know america first and uh they had laid in taxes taxes on the uh you know the foreigner bikes the japanese mm-hmm. the chinese bikes motorcycles um at that time and what that did is that forced them to be more competitive so if you were yep. over 700 cc's you had to pay a tax so honda yamaha suzuki all these companies produced motorcycles that were like 698 cc's all that sort of stuff labeled them as a 700 uh so the motorcycle i have is a 7 uh, vf 700 c um, and, and the importance of that motorcycle was it's, it is iconically the motorcycle that Harley Davidson built. Harley Davidson forced in, uh, you know, work with the U.S. government, got these tariffs placed on, on um, these foreign manufacturers, rightfully so, right? You know, pro-America, we want to build here, we want to build first, America. that sort of stuff. But what it caught, what it what it forced was creativity, ingenuity, and it forced these competition, bro. Yeah, yes, com- fucking competition, yes. man. I love it. Forced these uh, you know, foreign companies to be uh, creative and competitive with their motorcycles, so they created high compression uh, 
engines to compete with the 750s, with the, the 900s, all that sort of stuff, motorcycles, but while falling under the tariff uh, threshold, and they produce some of the most reliable motors ever built. So this, I have a 1985 VF700C, and it is arguably the best motor hunter ever built yeah yeah crazy i agree i agree dude you know what's funny though is um i've i've seen an uptick recently of scanning right Uh, of adoption of scanning not just in construction not just in you know architecture or vertical construction in general but in also scanning hot rods so my my passion is hot rods like i love hot rods i really want a 69 uh well i i of course would love a, a 68 69 uh mustang fax back like a shelby gt 500 or gt 350 probably not gonna happen but you know i'd love to have one of those oh dude um, i love an eleanor man give me dude, one eleanor is my oh my gosh yeah. Fast, so fast and Furious is great yeah but uh yeah it's a great movie it's great it is but great. gone in 60 seconds gone in 60 seconds was my shit with, with Eleanor and the Colt uh, painted on my heart, yep. like that whole song <laughs> background, like that that is my movie, man. That is yep. the movie that made, um, oh shit, what's his name? Uh, damn it, no, the little brother that plays Kip Raines. Oh, Kip Raines. Oh, he God. starts with a G. Giovanni Rubiso. Yep, yep, uh, yep. That's what like cemented it for me. Like that dude is gonna be a phenomenal actor. And everything I've seen him in since has been has been great. Nick Cage is kind of like taking the the yeah, <laughs> yeah he's conference. taking a downhill dive after Ghost Rider. Giovanni Ruiz's been on the the upward trend. Like all the movies and stuff he's been in. Like yeah, I love that movie. Like I love that movie. That is my ultimate favorite car movie. Is that movie yep. right there? But it's been crazy to see some of these collectors and stuff. They're using scanning to document the cars and their existing conditions and knowing how they need to repair them. Even bikes, dude. They'll scan a bike. I mean, they scan engine. They scan motors to know exactly what the conditions are in this motor and how to approach this build. Dude, it's awesome. I love like the the variety of it. I thought about actually using. So I have this Mozio, um, um, like you know, handheld phone tripod thing that follows me around. I thought about using that to convert still images into uh, meshes. Mesh, yeah. Mesh of whatever I'm doing. That way, when it comes time to put it back together, I can reverse engineer it. Yeah, dude, there you go. I know where that bolt goes. (laughs) Dude, that's one of my problems. Like, I'll get done with a build. I'll get done with putting a new turbo in or something like that. And then I'll look back and be like, where's this bolt go? Uh, <laughs> this, extra one, right? We got three extra holes, uh, but only one bolt. How does this? Bolt? <laughs> I don't know, man. But we got to wrap this up, bud. This has been fun. We've been talking about scanning and talking about standards. We've kind of just been BSing about BIM, catching up. Uh, I promise you guys, it will not be this long to the next one. We have Eric DeLeon from Cab Manager Confessions coming on. Uh, this will be a great episode again, uh, David. Thank you as always for, uh, thank you for talking be, being man. being the rock on this, uh, you know, freaking burning with Ben, man. Hell yeah, dude! I love. I feel like you know a little Ben Miller should be playing him. Wind beneath my wings, like <laughs> ridiculous. 
it's it's this empty bottle of scotch talking guys i promise yeah, you 100 dude i finished off this bottle of freaking well oh. i mean honestly i dumped a uh, old fashioned on my table so <laughs> that's one less that i'm dealing with yeah. but five yeah, sixths of the bottle all right cool i just want to say thank you to you of course for you know having these conversations but also for everyone that's listening thank you to our listeners man you guys keep us going you guys are the reason why we do this you know we've been able to get some feedback recently which is fantastic well well, we didn't know that we weren't getting feedback is the biggest thing is because we had changed email addresses but anyways (laughs) it's all fixed Send us, yep. a, send us some contact information wow. on the form. We'll reach out to you. We'll get this thing going. I've had dozens of dozens of dozens, uh, baker dozens of dozens of people reach out to us on LinkedIn, say how much they love us. Our podcast is growing phenomenally. I love it. Let's keep the momentum. But let's keep it relevant to you guys. You know, Let us know what you want to hear. Yep. We'll keep the conversation going. What is it? David at brewingwithbim.com and Joe at brewingwithbim.com. We got our own email addresses. We got our own email addresses. We're like we're, doing this shit we're now. We're hashtag done. official. <laughs> All right, guys. Thank you so much. And I look forward to the next one. All right. 